Hulk Hogan, who was a two-bit wrestler in Venice Beach, California, was playing a character in the Rocky movie, and he threw Rocky out of the ring and into the crowd. And literally watching that movie, Vince McMahon said, this is the man that I'm going to take wrestling worldwide. And he did. Welcome back to another episode of Sterling Municipal Library's podcast, where we talk to you about books we'd like to recommend. And this is a very special edition episode of this podcast, because we're not just reviewing a book, we're kind of reviewing an entire sport as a whole. We have our resident expert for the city here with us today. Kevin Troller is going to talk about wrestling, and he's going to talk about it both from kind of its origins, as well as where it is today, as well as give us a smattering of some books that he would recommend that some cover... Some of his duffel bag of yes. books. Oh, yeah, it's the macho man. No, it's just me. (laughs) So this is one of those times when I kind of wish that we had a video component to our podcast because he brought a duffel bag full of what, 12 books? There's 12 here out of the 34 that I have at home, but I just wanted to give just a smattering of of them so you could see it. It's a visual, so those of you in Radio Land will just have to kind of visualize a bunch of books with wrestlers. Yeah. And like you said, you have 34 books. We heard you even have one that you wrote about wrestling, your own thesis. I did. My master's thesis in college at Syracuse University that I wrote in 1987 was titled Questionable Theatrics Reap Surprising Revenues. And that was a thesis about Vince McMahon Jr. buying World Wrestling Federation from his father, Vince McMahon Sr., and ultimately taking wrestling worldwide. So how about you tell us, before you start kind of delving into the books themselves, why did you get so fascinated with wrestling in particular? Mindless entertainment is what my mother would have said, and and I'm pretty good at mindless entertainment. (laughs) So in high school, I went to high school in Forest City, Arkansas, about 40 miles from Memphis, Tennessee, and that was in the early 70s. And so lacking things to do in Arkansas, we used to drive over to Memphis to the Mid-South Coliseum, which had wrestling, which was not unusual. Wrestling in the early days, 20s, 30s, 40s. 50s, at this point in time, 70s, was still regional. So Memphis, Tennessee was one of the capitals where regional wrestling happened. Back in 72, 73, there was a young man, Jerry Lawler, was part of a tag team, Lawler, White, and Bass. For those that follow wrestling, the king, Jerry Lawler, is Mm -hmm. still an icon today in world wrestling. But I saw him as a young 19-year-old just starting out on the tag team and, and have gotten to watch him throughout his career. That's pretty awesome. So did you ever try the sport yourself? No, no, no. I was four foot 11 and 80 pounds in high school. <laughs> and besides the fact of learning that women don't date four foot 11, 80 pound guys, I also learned that four foot 11, 80 pound guys don't do well in boxing, wrestling, MMA, or anything that would be like that. <laughs> I had to do my mine from the stands. I would have been like a, a promoter or, or a, maybe I could have been one of the managers and had a shtick, but I didn't do that now. All so right. I've never been into wrestling and all I know about wrestling is the worldwide wrestling entertainment WWE okay it used to be the federation because I would get it confused with the wildlife (laughs) that's right in fact back then it had three w's and an f worldwide wrestling federation that's right how did this happen how did it go from what you saw in Memphis to what I remember as a kid 
So anyone listening that followed wrestling knows that it was regionalized and each region had their own promoters and their own wrestlers. So you would have a region in Minnesota, a region in New York, a region in Philadelphia, a region in Florida, Memphis, Texas. So people from Texas would remember the Dallas Sportatorium or down farther south in Harlingen and McAllen, you got a lot of the Lucha Libre wrestlers over in Mexico. So Depending on where you lived, if you were watching TV, especially as cable started, you would see wrestling from that region. But you wouldn't see anything else because it wasn't worldwide. So you only saw those collection of wrestlers, and each one of the regions would have their world champion or their version of that. And so the only way that wrestlers fought differently was they would actually leave a region, go to a different region, and sometimes they would take their character with them, and sometimes they would come as someone completely new. But you didn't know that because you weren't watching all this on TV, so you couldn't tell when someone just changed a region. So what ended up happening to consolidate all of these different regions? Yeah, so whether you like Vince McMahon Jr., the current owner, Owner, president, CEO, czar, guru, dictator <laughs> of WWE. Nobody will question the strategic mind. He's probably a billionaire times over. He saw the need to grow wrestling, and the only way to do it was to break out of these regions. He just didn't know the persona that was going to do that. And he was watching one of the Rocky movies that Hulk Hogan, who was a two-bit wrestler in Venice Beach, California, was playing a character in the Rocky movie. And he threw Rocky out of the ring and into the crowd. And literally watching that movie, Vince McMahon said, this is the man that I'm going to take wrestling worldwide. And he did. All right. So how do you want to start us on your multi-book journey? Wow. So I figured for most people out there, there was no sense in getting into the old time Bruno Sammartinos and names that nobody would know. So I've got a collection of books here of the more recent guys. You know, obviously, I've got Hulk Hogan here because you really can't talk about wrestling. I mean, he absolutely changed wrestling forever. If you read the history of any wrestlers, especially those in the 40s and 50s and 60s, literally they drove from town to town, car to car, sometimes sleeping in hotels, sometimes sleeping in their cars. They would wrestle in auditoriums, civic centers, armories. They might make $10 a night. They might get stiffed. And they would wrestle 320, 330 nights of the year. And they would just do this constantly. And they they didn't make any money. About the time Vince McMahon Jr. found Hulk Hogan, he started buying out all the regions. That was his solution, was he would go in, they weren't making a lot of money, he'd offer the region, and he bought out Minneapolis. He bought out Arkansas. He bought out Florida. Until there was only really two wrestlings. You had WWE up in New York, and you had Turner Broadcasting in Atlanta, which was World Championship Wrestling, WCW. So at that time, when you're down to two wrestlings, you had Hulk Hogan with WWE, and you had Ric Flair in WCW. And so now Cable is pretty mature at this point, and the two networks went head-to-head, -head, and they both wrestled on Monday night. Oh, no. So you had to choose one or the other oh, wow. in a rating war, and it went back and forth. WWE was dominating the ratings, then WCW would do something different, and they dominated the ratings, and, and back and forth it went. But ultimately, in the long run, WWE won out. They bought out WCW, and at that time, they really were the only wrestling that there was. None of that would have happened without Hulk Hogan. I think whether people like him or not, he completely changed the playing field. 
and especially in terms of money. So now we go from wrestlers making, you know, $10, $100. If you're on TV today and you're wrestling, you're making seven digits. And there's merchandising and everything that goes with it. It's a completely different ballgame now. As well as a complete persona. So yeah. was wrestling originally always about the theatrics or did it become increasingly more about the theatrics around the matches? So that's a great question. There's a word in wrestling called kefabi. I don't even know if that's how you say it, but I'm going to say kefabi. That word meant you never spoke about wrestling in any other than it was real. You didn't talk to news stories, shows. If you were on a TV show as a wrestler, it was always real. Everything they did was real. And so you didn't talk to the rest of the world about that. So the persona of the wrestlers has kind of evolved over the years. They would have always stayed in character. You would have only seen them as that. I go back to Jerry the King Lawler and one of the the early shticks he had with Andy Kaufman, who was an entertainer, a real skinny comedian. And he was so devoted to wrestling. He loved it. He wanted in the business. So they developed a whole shtick with Jerry Lawler in Memphis fighting Andy Kaufman. And he pile drives him into the mat and supposedly breaks his neck. And then they go on David Letterman together and he demands an apology from Jerry Lawler for breaking his neck. And Lawler slaps him out of the chair. But the whole time this is on TV, even David Letterman, the host of the show, thinks everything that's happening is real. No one even even talked about it being fake until much, much later. How did that happen? Because, again, when I grew up, everyone was just like, yeah, yeah, wrestling's fake. We all know that. We love it. <laughs> well, that's interesting because, unfortunately, I went with school. Maybe it was from Arkansas. They all thought it was real. And... Well, I think the age difference is a little. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there's a slight age oh, difference for people, those listening. But people on radio don't know that. They, we yeah. could, you and I could have it's gone like to high really, school together. It's really small age difference. I think maybe like a few classes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So honestly, it's one of those legalities of wrestling that wrestling, as long as it was a sport, played luxury sports tax like any other sport does. If you look at the Dallas Cowboys or the Texans or whoever, they're paying multi-millions to play in those venues. They play sport, pay sports luxury tax. And all of a sudden it dawned on Vince McMahon Jr. that someone said to him once that, well, you know, when are you going to come out and, and admit that it's, it's fake? It, you're really not a sport. And his mind went, not a sport. You're right. Then I don't have to pay sports luxury tax. And with that, he called it entertainment. And and now you see people and they don't openly talk yeah. about it being fake, but you will see, hear it all the time. You'll hear references to it. No one really tries to, to make a big deal of it. But Vince McMahon saved billions. So everything to him was a, a financial decision that he made and he's completely changed. His father actually said if he knew what Vince McMahon Jr. was going to do with wrestling, he never would have sold him oh, wow. WWE because the old timers would, wouldn't want to be any part of this thing today, mm -hmm. that it was just entertainment. It's fake. I mean, they were promoting real wrestling, real matches. And this Hulk Hogan book you have, do, does it go over some of these like early days of wrestling, like the the start of this no this worldwide. one no this okay. one doesn't it probably would cover his early days yeah. you know because like i said he was a two-bit wrestler his name's terry balia and he was wrestling in venice beach california as sterling golden so i mean he was other than having this chiseled body which you in radio <laughs> land can't see beautiful feather boa but i think fortunately everybody can picture hulk hogan like yeah. true, yes. so iconic 
Yeah. And so he's, he had the body for it. Mm-hmm. But he was wrestling out in Venice Beach and really wasn't known at all till Vince McMahon grabbed him. And honestly, there's so much theatrics. I mean, whether you like it, dislike it, it's real, it's fake. You cannot question the athleticism in wrestling, mm-hmm. what they do, how they do it. I mean, they are at personal risk. They do get hurt. They do dive off of cages and through tables. And there's a lot of things that they do get cut. They do break legs and arms. And all that really does happen. But the theatrics is amazing what they can do flipping off of ropes. Hulk Hogan can't do any of that. I mean, he really has got the body and he got by on the looks and a persona, but he has a kick to the face and drops a leg over your chin, and that's it. I mean, by the standards of wrestling, where there's some really creative and theatric things done, Hulk Hogan is very limited as a wrestler. I mean, he can't, but he had a persona. He had a magnetism. Hulkamania ran wild, and, mm-hmm. and everybody in the in the gyms and the places got behind that. I even remember one of our librarians saying she had a Hulk Hogan doll growing up. <laughs> so... so- you have, again, a huge selection of books with you. What are, what's your next? So feature? how about a couple of Texans? Because I really, I like the biographies and autobiographies of wrestling. One, to constantly kind of keep pace on what happened long ago versus what happened now. But, you know, they're not any different than you and I. I mean, they've got ups and downs and life issues that that happen to them. This one I'm holding is the heartbreak and triumph, the Shawn Michaels story. Shawn Michaels is from San Antonio, so he's a local Texan. He is not very big. So if I was going to wrestle today, I could probably be Shawn Michaels because he's not a very big guy. He is a very charismatic guy. He is very athletic guy. He did a lot of wonderful things in the ring. What I like about Shawn Michaels' story, and his real name is Shawn Higginbottom. I thought actually I think it's Michael Shawn Higginbottom. Interesting. Okay. And so Switched he became Shawn Michaels. Yeah, it was easier to say. Yeah. This book brings about the ego that he had. So he got to be a star. On, on the highest stage and in WWE, but his ego was out of control. His life was out of control. He wasn't very well liked as a wrestler, as mm-hmm. talented as he was. Interestingly enough, in the days of the WWE versus WCW, the Atlanta versus New York, when you got Hogan versus Flair, you've got Shawn Michaels, and he's wrestling at that time, and he's doing very, very well. He literally turns on his TV set one night, and in Atlanta at WCW, they had the Nitro Girls, so they had like cheerleaders coming out and doing their shtick Mm -hmm. before the wrestling, and he literally saw one of the cheerleaders, the Nitro Girls, on TV and decided he had to get to know her. So the the story goes all the way through how they met, how they dated, and they ultimately get married. Very, very devout Christian. Mm-hmm. And so she completely changes Shawn Michaels. And so Shawn Michaels was a brash, egotistical, I mean, very, very hard to deal with guy. And, and that was his persona. That was his character. So he was kind of conflicted towards the end of his career, carrying off the character where his life had changed and he no longer wanted to live like that. So I really like this book because it's one of those rags to riches stories where it takes somebody, he he made a lot of money, he found that one person and, and honestly filled a void that was in his life, completely changed his life. So he's still involved with WWE today. He still is behind the scenes promoting, coaching, teaching other wrestlers, but he is nothing like his character anymore. Interesting. And what was the name of that one again? Heartbreak and Triumph, the Shawn Michaels story. Hmm. How about another Texan? Of course. All right. 
Okay, so I think you were mentioning my friend here, Leslie. I think you were talking about the stone cold truth. <laughs> stone cold Steve Austin. <laughs> He's from around, he is from around Austin. Okay, I was about to say, I would hope so. Yeah, well, his real name is Steve Williams, and he was a football player. And when he came into wrestling, he didn't want to play football. He wasn't that good at football. He was, he liked watching wrestling. So he and a friend decided that they were going to go to one of the wrestling, learn how to become a wrestler. I'm going to do that kind of thing. So he comes in, and it's not like the company knows what your character is going to be. So they would ask you. You know, who are you going to be? Who are you? And he said, well, my name is Steve Williams. And they said, ooh, that's not going to work because we have a wrestler <laughs> called Dr. Death, Steve Williams. So you're that's not going to work. Who are you going to be? And, and literally, this is five minutes before his first match, and, and they don't know, and he doesn't know. And they go, where are you from? And he says, I'm from Austin. Great, you're Steve Austin. So he started wrestling as Steve Austin. Mm-hmm. And what they found was he was one of these guys that could absolutely self-promote. So like today, I actually watch wrestling, but I don't watch much of the match. I'm into the soap opera. I'm yes. into the buildup and what you're saying and the storylines. And all the and trash talking All beforehand. the trash talking. If I was going to be a wrestler, that's what I'd have done. I'd have been the trash talker. That's the art. I'd have been calling you out. Well, he was very, very good at that, and he was very quick on his on his feet. So if you go to a sporting event, you will see, it's not unusual, that Christians will be behind Hope Plate, and they'll have a sign, John 316, a Bible reference. He happened to just see one of those in the wrestling auditorium as he was going up to make his opening remarks and he was asked a couple of questions and he just came out with Austin 316 said I just kicked your ass <laughs> and the next night in in the auditorium there were signs Austin 316 and that and be- that's such a Texan sentiment too, isn't it though honestly yeah isn't it though <laughs> and so everyone started wearing the shirts he made a lot of money on the shirts he became another one of these really really brash characters over the top mm-hmm. that, you know, they started running all kind of storylines where he was trashing the owner's cars. He would take a <laughs> cement mixer and pour cement in his literally, really would tear up the guy's car. He drove a Samboni into the ring with beer and shot beer into the, into the <laughs> ring, you know, at wrestlers. And then that became his thing was at the end of every match, somebody would throw two or three cans of beer and he would just guzzle the beer in the ring. And that's how he would end wow. his message. So a whole lot of these stories, you watch how the person evolves their character mm-hmm. and who they became over time. And honestly, if you don't have a marketable character, I mean, you could be a great guy. You could be a great wrestler. You could have the body. But if it isn't a character that people gravitate to, mm-hmm. you're just not going to you're not going to make it. Yeah, it is a good chunk of charisma. required. It's true. How did he get stone cold, though? That's the real question. That was his wife. <laughs> and so I'm trying to think about it. I mean, he's, you know, this this book is, is really interesting because kind of the, the reverse of Shawn Michaels, his life kind of came and fell apart. I mean, you're living this character. Mm-hmm. You're still on the road. 300 days a year. You're just making a whole lot of money now. You're living this character every night in a different city. So very difficult Mm -hmm. for these guys to have families. Any story that you find on a wrestler, very few of them have their original wife because they're never home. They're never Mm -hmm. home with their kids. And so there was some problem that Steve Austin was having. And he was talking to his wife because the promoter was again talking about Steve Austin and something and something was missing and they were still playing with their character. And somehow his wife said, well, you're so emphatic. You ought to say something definitive like that's the stone cold truth. And she just threw it out there. And he said, 
Stone Cold. Stone Cold Steve Austin. And literally a conversation around his table from his wife. She came up yeah. with that. And then he became Stone Cold Steve Austin. Rechanged his shirt. Left mm-hmm. the Austin 316 on of it. <laughs> yeah. And his character took off. But that marriage didn't make it. There was a recent autobiography that was out, and they did a whole storyline on TV. He is in a ranch outside of Austin. He's doing very, very well. He gets along very, very well with his kids and his ex-wife. But I'll say one thing about wrestlers whose marriages don't make it. They're all pretty realistic about the life they led, Mm -hmm. the money they made, the partying they did. A lot of times booze and drugs were involved, other women. They're pretty honest about the whole thing, that they weren't. At home, they weren't. It wasn't a lifestyle that was conducive. And I would think a lot of entertainers that travel a lot would be the same kind of challenge. And I imagine playing a character 300 days a year that is mean and aggressive and rude probably starts rubbing off on your personality. Yeah. You probably start getting some of those traits because you act them all the time. So how about we shift gears to one of the wrestlers who had more than one persona that he dabbled with? Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, our friend Mick Foley. I mean, you, <laughs> Mick Foley is really, really interesting. And I got three of those books here because he successfully changed, rechanged, remade himself. And every time, I mean, he is a big lumberjack, stocky, heavy guy with a big old beard with <laughs> teeth missing. I mean, you cannot <laughs> misplace Mick Foley. I mean, if you saw Mick Foley, if you knew who Mick Foley was mm-hmm. and you saw him dressed anyway, you would know it's Mick Foley. So he started out as a character called Cactus Jack. So Cactus Jack, and he's wrestling, and he has this persona. And uh, there's two other words. If you're a good guy, you're a baby face. If you're a bad guy, you're a heel. Mm-hmm. So okay. you always got heel good versus bad. <laughs> yeah, it's that's the other thing that's, that's polarizing about wrestling. It's the ultimate good versus evil. Mm-hmm. Good guys versus bad guys and, and who's winning and all that. So Mick Foley, Cactus Jack, he was bad guy. He was mm-hmm. a heel. And that persona actually was doing very well. He decided to remake himself and become a hippie. And he had a tie-dye <laughs> shirt and a tie-dye bandana. And he came out with a real hippie persona and he called himself Dude Love. Dude love. So now you would have wrestling on TV, and sometimes you would see Cactus Jack, and sometimes you would see. So he was doing the dude same love. one, like two at, of them at, at the, the same, same time. time. So and this, normally that wouldn't work. Describe dude loves because that seems so antithetical to wrestling, like yeah. the whole you know I'm just a hippie, laid back kind of mentality. How did that work? <laughs> like, well, it worked well because that was his baby face. I oh, mean, yeah. that was the guy that he wanted the crowd to love. Although you'll find in wrestling, there's a lot of affinity to the heel if the heel's good enough. Now, if you happen to be Sergeant Slaughter, the American, fighting the Iranian Iron Sheik, which you find in wrestling a lot, Mm -hmm. good versus bad will start to reflect what's going on in the world. So if the United States is at war with Iraq, a wrestling will have an American versus an Iraqi just Mm -hmm. to do that, which puts the wrestler at risk because they're playing this persona that people people hate in real life. And so, again, there's 
countless stories of wrestlers being attacked in parking lots and stabbed and at personal risk mm-hmm. because of some of the characters that they have. So Dude Love was just a happy-go-lucky hippie, and it certainly wasn't in the 60, 70 days when he was doing that, but it was the alter ego, and maybe it was people were so used to seeing Cactus Jack that they were kind of enamored with this other guy, and he didn't play him off as brother versus brother yeah. like The Undertaker and Kane, if you know those two. They, they came in and called themselves brothers, good and bad. Nope. Dude Love was just another character that was kind of a a hippie. And so now he's carrying on those two personas, and he developed a third one years (laughs) later. And that guy's name was Mankind. And... Mankind was a little bit similar to Cactus Jack, but he had a vest and he had a a deranged looking mask and he was also a heel. So Mick Foley enjoyed being a heel and Mm -hmm. most people that are heels like it because they like turning the crowd against them. Well, it's kind of like the people that like playing villains in the movies. You have a certain personality subset that really finds enjoyment in that. Get more freedom. But Cactus Jack is interesting or Mick Foley. Why I have these three books here is Mick Foley writes his own book. So he doesn't have somebody doing the writing and it's just using his name. He literally talks about in these books that he's flying around and he is longhand handwriting. He doesn't do it at a computer. I don't know if he can use a computer or not, but he's <laughs> he's got hundreds, if not thousands of pages of handwritten for every one of these books as he's going through his characters. And so I just think he is is, is an interesting guy because normally, unless your character is failing mm-hmm. and you have to go away and reinvent yourself, which you see from time to time, but he was equally successful in each of the three characters, played off them against each other. Mm-hmm. You always knew it was him, but they all had very, very unique mm-hmm. characteristics. And so when he was Mankind... You bought into Mankind. When he was Dude Love, you bought into Dude Love. So since his are autobiographical, how is the writing? Like, I don't expect it to be, you know, the next literary fiction or anything, but... Well, I guess you'd have to read one. I mean, you're <laughs> you're you're a lot more read than I. You know, we started this off, and, you know, part of the reason that I like wrestling is because it's mindless entertainment. Right. He, actually, he's a very good writer. Mm-hmm. And he's a good writer from, you can see the size of some of these, the story flows. I mean, so I'm sure somebody has helped him with all that, but it's so down to earth. It's so real. He's telling you about the business. He's telling you about his role in the business. They're all good reads. I mean, they all... Of these three, what what would be one that you think is a good overview of his career that someone could pick up if maybe they didn't know about him? I think it's the first one. And I think the, the paperback I've got here is the first one. And it just says... Foley is good, and the real world is faker than wrestling. And I thought that that's pretty comical because that gives his good, view yeah. on on life, wrestling, the world, anyhow. And just just think about the title. And the real world is faker than wrestling. <laughs> I think that's probably probably the best overview of Mick Foley. What go. does he do now? So most wrestlers, unless they just retire and walk away from the business, if you're a big name. You're somehow connected with the business. So where I had said at one point we got into where WWE was the only wrestling. I mean, they owned everything. Well, you know, that's not going to go on for very long. They're competition. It's, you know, it's what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, so you start to see now some fledgling underground wrestling's coming up. And then you see a ring of honor come up. Uh, the big one right now is all elite wrestling. So Cody Rhodes, Dustin Rhodes, 
Sons of the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, who I watched <laughs> in the early days with, with Jerry Lawler in Arkansas. They spun off their own wrestling called All Elite Wrestling. The way it's gaining fame right now, and it's getting a lot of people coming back to wrestling, and they're using some of the older characters and newer storylines, is I think that they give people much more creative license in their charactering. Okay. So a lot of times in WWE, either Either Vince McMahon or Triple H or whoever was running the storylines would control everything. It seems like in all elite wrestling that the wrestlers really enjoy being part of the plot and the twist and the character creation and what they're doing with that. And it must be working because there's some really big names that have come out of WWE or WCW. The Sting, the Stinger, was an icon in WCW wrestling. Sting is over in... In, in AEW, Big Show has made an appearance. Taz has made an appearance. Tully Blanchard, who was one of the original Four Horsemen in the Ric Flair, Ole Arn Anderson days, and Tully Blanchard. It's really interesting for me to watch people I saw wrestling in the 70s or 80s now back as these managers mm-hmm. in the storylines. And I'm going, wow, that was 50 years ago I was watching them when they were young, yeah. you know, in their 90s and 20s, and they're still doing this. It's just finding a niche that works in today's. And usually for the older guys, it's it's as a manager or there's some part of the storyline. Mm-hmm. So. Which it is interesting that you keep bringing this back to stories. Was there a particular story that you really enjoyed at one point? Tell us some of the dirt and some of the drama. <laughs> Oh, wow. Wow. So, you know, I grew up, you know, like I said, with Jerry the King Lawler and Lawler fought fought a guy in Arkansas, Jackie Fargo. And that was a big storyline that they that they built up. And he and Fargo went back and forth. And one of the more popular storylines is that you would become friends and then you would turn on your partner. Okay. And that happens a lot in wrestling, and they, they build up to it. So, obviously, you've got Jerry Lawler, and he's fighting Jackie Fargo, and they're enemies. And then there's another tag team, the Fabulous Infernos. And the Infernos have got masks. And so the, the Infernos were so bad that finally Lawler and Fargo say, we have to save Memphis Wrestling from the Inferno. So we're going to set aside our differences and we're going to team up and we're going to fight the Infernos. So that storyline goes on for better part of a year, maybe even two years. And it's back and forth and they're each taking turn, turns winning until one night Fargo's in the ring against one of the Infernos. And without him knowing, Lawler just comes in and lays him out. And then he turns on him and decimates him and walks out of the ring. And then the Infernos beat him up a little bit more and he's a bloody mess. And that's it. Because they had run that storyline long enough, and they needed Jerry Lawler to be a heel again. Okay. So the way he's got he, he, most heels don't want to stay a babyface for too long, yeah. right? And so the, that makes sense. They had to go back, and the only way that they could start the the Fargo Lawler feud again was he had to turn on him. It was a betrayal. So, yeah, the betrayal. <laughs> so you see that a lot in wrestling that people become you know their enemies, mortal enemies, and then they become friends again. And as long as that's working, they'll do it. But even if it is working. Sooner or later, you turn on on the other one because that just builds the suspense. And I'm going to keep watching because what's going to happen next time they see each other? (laughs) See, I could see that even though you you say you're not a wrestling fan, a lot of people say they're not a wrestling fan. Well, I think if I watched it like you and just maybe like scrolled through the wrestling part to all the drama, (laughs) I'd probably watch it. 
Yeah, because honestly, there's I don't know, and there's people out there listening that probably are really into wrestling, and they know how many moves there are. But I'll simplify it, and you can beat me up if you want. I'll say that there's <laughs> catch th- him on the ring. <laughs> that's it. There's probably thirty moves. I mean, there's yeah. only so much you think you could do in a headlock and a pile driver and slinging the ropes and do this. And, and there's sometimes some theatrical stuff some off the ropes and and stuff or a fireball to the face. They do fireball. that every now and then or. You know, back in the day, people actually taped razor blades to their fingers. And so like a Ric Flair in the younger days, I would pretend to hit you and you would grab your head and you would cut yourself with the thing to make it look like I hit you and opened you up. And you actually got paid more if you were a bleeder. Well, Ric Flair was the ultimate bleeder. Mm -hmm. And so you would see these wrestlers with all these nicked up foreheads from actually cutting themselves. Yeah. Now I think they have products that make it look like that. I don't know, so don't get mad at me out there. I think there's products that do that so you're not just cutting yourself so up. So you're not just scratching yourself. doesn't your face. seem very hygienic in the long yeah. run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seems dangerous. So there was one biography that I was very excited to hear you talk about, and that would be The Rocks. I think it fell off the stand. I think yeah, The Rock's on the floor right yes, now. Yes, he is. That's where Poor Rocks guy. are. And I think if I know anything at all, that The Rock was also a heel. Is that correct? He was. I mean, he went, like most wrestlers, he goes back and forth. Okay. And, and The Rock, Dwayne Johnson is his real name. He's the son of a wrestler. That's not uncommon, I guess, mm-hmm. if you live that lifestyle and you follow your father into the business. And so he started wrestling. I mean, he looks Samoan. Don't hold me to that. I don't know what he... I believe he is. He is. <laughs> is he? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, good. Okay, good. <laughs> you know, good. I don't want to say if he was, if he wasn't. <laughs> so he becomes, you know, he's wrestling as Dwayne Johnson, and that doesn't really work. Yeah. I mean, it works okay, but he's pretty plain. Again, he had the body for it, but he was another one that could self-promote. Mm-hmm. And some people are just better at what they say and how... They say it. And he became famous for, he would always raise an eyebrow and then he would say, if you could smell what the rock is cooking. (laughs) And that's how he would do it. So he would go through this long discussion about things and that's how he would end it. And then he would just add to it. Well, if you've got a compelling way of talking to the crowd, either Mm -hmm. making them happy or making them mad, it probably works. What I like about The Rock and something we were talking about it is he's truly a crossover. I mean, he doesn't wrestle much more now. I mean, he's a movie star. He's kind of moved into lovable goofball territory. Yeah, he's got to protect the protect the face now. <laughs> he does. What's this latest movie that's out? Jungle Cruise. Uh, Jungle Cruise. Yeah. Jungle Cruise. You know, so see that at a theater near you. Um, <laughs> the Rock, and I think they still use The Rock. I don't think mm-hmm. they say Dwayne Johnson, no. even though isn't yeah. that right? Yeah, I think people still call him The Rock. Dwayne The, Rock, Dwayne Johnson. the Rock Johnson. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So it's something that like it feels like even if people have never seen him wrestle, just like that that persona and that identity has like it's in him so much that it's just what he is now. Well, the beautiful part about it, it being choreographed, you can do it as you get older because you know, you're not really taking a pounding. They can always bring you back. And so mm-hmm. most of these guys make cameo appearances. And so, you know, back in the day, there was only one big pay-per-view in WWE, WrestleMania. And I don't know what WrestleMania they're up to now, 30, 40, 50, <laughs> whatever they were. Hulk Hogan was back in the early days of one, two, three. Mm-hmm. So they're up at 30 or 40 right now, however many WrestleManias there are. But they can always build the momentum of wrestling by just grabbing one of these Hall of Famers and bring them back and stick them back in the storyline. And either they're going to wrestle somebody or they come back to promote somebody and then somebody turns on them. That's always a lot of fun to 
do because it gives the fans a chance to see these guys who are kind of long out of the business. Yeah. So even though The Rock doesn't wrestle much anymore, they still use him in cameo appearance. Shoot, they still use Ric Flair in cameo appearances, and he's got to be pushing 80, oh, no. I, I would think. <laughs> you know, And so he's just so crazy. I mean, he was so over the top with his personality mm. and the robes. What makes Ric Flair interesting, if you watch an autobiography or there's plenty of movies on Ric Flair, he lived the life that he talked about. So most people's promo is just making up stuff. And right. he would talk about the high filing, styling, profiling, coming to your town, limousine riding, and talk about his million, you know, thousand dollar suits. And he would talk about how much he drank and how many women were on each arm. All of that was true. <laughs> so he would leave wrestling and go out and party all night long. And mm-hmm. I, they asked him on one show, well, and people always talk about how much you drink. How, how much do you really drink? And he goes, well, on every on any given day, maybe 10, 15 beers, five mixed drinks. And he would Dang. go through the every single day and he would party because he would go town to town wrestling and he mm-hmm. didn't want to sit in the hotel at night. So he would party and he'd be buying the, the everyone in the bar places. And then, of mm-hmm. course, you know, he thought he was this high flying guy with long flowing blonde hair, the gift to all women. And he said he's had more than 10,000 women. And so he has been married and divorced two or three times. I wonder why. And and he's very honest about that, yeah. and, you know, because I wasn't one to come home. He's got children. He wasn't one to come home. He liked being on the road, styling, profiling, drinking, Limousine partying. Riding. And that is the exact, that was his persona. And that is what he lived every day. The interesting thing, and we I talked about children that follow their parents. Ric Flair had a son, Reed Flair, and he followed his dad into wrestling, was going to be a wrestler. Unfortunately, he had the same party desire mm. that his father had. So at a way, way, way early age, he was drinking and drugs enormously, and he wound up dying in a hotel. So Ric Flair has a daughter, Ashley. Ashley wrestles as Charlotte Flair today. Charlotte had no desire to be a wrestler at all, had no (laughs) desire. But when Reed died, she felt the need to carry on Reed's legacy to Ric Flair. Reed wanted to be what Rick always was. And so Charlotte or Ashley enters WWE, gets into bodybuilding, gets in in great physical shape. And now she is a perennial superstar diva in WWE as Charlotte Flair. And she's an incredible wrestler. Is she as bodacious as her father? She does some of the things her father did, the strutting. And, you know, that's Ric Flair is so iconic. He used to woo! And if you go to any sporting event, MMA, football games, you'll just hear people in the crowd just, woo, they'll start doing that. That's Ric Flair. And anyone that knows wrestling knows what that sound is. So she does that and the whole place starts doing that. And there's, you know, Ric Flair still comes out and watches her matches, which again, Mm -hmm. people love seeing Ric Flair come out. And so it's just, there's a lot of family in the business. It's just a very, very difficult business because of all that you're on the road. Yeah. I think that's all the questions that's I all. can think I of. I learned we, so much me today. Too. <laughs> is there, I mean, who doesn't like wrestling? I mean, come on. I think the only it, thing is that people maybe haven't seen it. So y'all could be like tag it. team divas. I mean, I'm sitting here looking across the room. All you <laughs> we'll need to do is come up with a shtick yeah. and a costume and then you'll have to go to one of these schools that teaches you how to do that stuff. I and then cool. you come out in the ring. I'm thinking I'm your manager. <laughs> Yeah. 
come up with all sorts of bookish puns about it. Too. Oh, yeah. We can be librarians. That can be our thing. There you go. You could throw books at people. We can shush the crowd. We can be. <laughs> you know, there was the honky talk man who was like Elvis and he had a, uh, oh, he had a robe like Elvis and he had a guitar in the ring. And part mm-hmm. of his stick is he would smash you over the head with the guitar. Yeah. Well, you guys could be throwing books at people and yeah, telling people to people. hush. Yeah, <laughs> you'd have to have a finishing move called the husher. You'd have to the do something that would be house. yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh, maybe something about like checkout. Exactly. Ooh. Oh, I like that. Oh, I like that, that too. Sounds fun. I'm gonna find you, and so you have to find you. Know, the, the, you'd have all these different library kind of sayings as That's different true. moves. I like it. This beating is overdue. No. <laughs> all right. Well, well before uh, we go any further, in the future for our debut, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> And thank you so much for bringing us another assortment of excellent reads. Yeah. Bye. 